Hello everybody and welcome to another one in our long-running series of financial well-being podcasts. My name's David Lloyd. I'm here with Chris Budd and producer Tomo. Say hello, guys. Hi, hello, guys. guys. Yeah, good to see you. <laughs> what have you been long up to? Long-running. Yes, long-running. Long 37th. You said that with a slight weariness in your voice. No, no, I enjoy them. I don't know about you. I think we're kind of getting into the stride of it yeah. now. Kind of enjoying it. You know, we just make it up as we go along, listeners. Uh, so, um, what's happening with you then, Chris? Well, uh, today, David, we are going to talk about employee ownership. Um, which uh, listeners will remember from a recent podcast. I recently sold my company to an employee ownership trust. So we thought we'd give a bit more information and particularly see if we can work out how that can help with financial well-being. Right, and so Tomo, as a former employee of Chris and now a co-owner of your own business, how's that working out? Yeah, it's fine thus far. Still still able to pay the mortgage. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. We're very excited about it. Brilliant. Okay. What, what, what's happening today then? So, qu- listeners' questions. We've had almost two emails this week, including one from Mrs. Trellis in North Wales. <laughs> Very good. The legendary Mrs. Trellis from I'm sorry, I haven't a clue, would that be? Should That's we? the one. That's Let's the stop one. doing the podcast and go and listen to that I instead. Know. I, couldn't re- I couldn't resist it. So, Mrs. Trellis says uh, that we often mention subsistence and disposable income on the podcast and wondered if we might explain again actually what that means so I thought I'd hand that one over to Thomas. Don't ask me I haven't got a clue. (laughs) The subsistence element of it think about all the bills that have to be paid you know your mortgage your direct debits all of that sort of thing and then chuck in something that you could really do with throughout the year to make sure that you have a, a decent life that might be you know a little holiday away bits of clothes here and there and that's what we call subsistence enough bottle of wine a bottle of wine bacon include bacon but then that kind of comes in under the food element of subsistence so that's sort of the base level of giving yourself a decent standard of living the disposable is the income that you've got coming in above that subsistence figure and that's the bit where you can certainly play around with it you can spend it on bigger experiences putting money away those that aren't necessarily earning anymore um, and might be drawing down on a pot, for example. It's basically the the amount they want to spend that isn't that subsistence figure. So the importance of it is that it's the disposable income that we can use to generate well-being. The subsistence level is what we need to spend, but we can use the disposable income. And that's really what these podcasts are all about: is the disposable income um, and how we can use that to maybe bring the future closer with savings and pensions or spending on experiences, as Tomo says. Okay, Mrs. Trellis, I hope that has answered your question for you. Now let us move on to what is, I think, probably my favourite feature. I think it's everybody's favourite feature. It's the thing, the reason for which, basically, people tune into this podcast. And it is, of course, tight-ass Tomo. All came about, very briefly... Tomo took Chris and Ian, another work colleague, out for lunch. He had a voucher. He steered them towards buying this lunch, particularly that, that because he got a cheap voucher for it. He claims the lunch was very nice, but all the same, it cost him virtually nothing. Out of that, the legend that is Titus Tomo was born. Or we could just say the legend that came out and the feature came out because he is a tight ass. Oh, well, there is that too, yeah. <laughs> so, ev- so every week he brings another one of his fantastic tight-assed money-saving tips but before we come on to the tip from the legend that is Titus Tomo Chris have you got anything for us I do so uh, you recall in podcast 35 Tomo gave a tip about how to get a reclaim if you've recently taken out a power of attorney uh, Chris who is at anchors 43 tweeted us to say that he managed to get 150 quid back for his parents and some money for his mother-in-law as well 
um, unfortunately, he says they did not see it fitting even to buy me a coffee. So thank you. Oh dear, clearly not on great relations with his parents and his mother-in-law then. <laughs> well, That'd be we... even worse if they're listening to this podcast. How dare you wash our dirty linen in public <laughs> in front of those millions of listeners to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast? I thought it'd be good to know that the tips, Tomo, your tips do actually hit and they do actually make a difference. Well done. It means we have one listener, which is great, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> Uh, so we've got another one here from our old friend Annie Shaw at Cash Questions on Twitter. And she tweeted, did I tell you about hoovering up the empty shampoo bottles in my gym, which weren't really empty at all because they still had a bit in them, didn't buy shampoo for a year and only ever used luxury brands. Um, <laughs> excellent. So thank you for that. So I think we've had one from me. We've had one from Annie. And I think drum roll, main event, searchlights, Trumpet fanfare, Tomo, what have you got for us today? This one will seem very straightforward, but I think it's useful to remind people of the obvious and actually links back to the subsistence expenditure. Go through your bank account and have a look at those direct debits that are going out. I think so often, and this happened to me only the other day, so you know I'm trying to practice what I preach, uh, looking through my bank statement, and I saw direct debits coming out for some insurance on my fridge, for example, and God knows how I got wangled into paying for that when I bought it. And then I just looked at my home insurance, it's like, it's all covered under the emerg home emergency part of, of the insurance, home insurance package. So I was spending five quid a month on something I didn't need. And sometimes you just need to sit down and have a look and look at those direct debits that, that you're paying for. Do you actually still need them? That is so true. And this happened to me, it was a few years ago now, and, and um, I was just a bit skinned at the time. So I was, this is when you tend to take a little bit more notice about your outgoings. And I worked my way through. And I had four or five direct debits in there, as you say, for insurances that I didn't need, a gym membership to a gym I hadn't been to for a year. And, and, and when you rationalise, I saved myself £100 a month. Mm. I wonder just, what the statistics would be of the percentage of gym membership or gym turnover that's not used. You know, people who aren't actually using the facilities but still paying. It would be fascinating. I wonder if that figure exists. I think it'd be huge. Yeah. I do. I do. Great. Okay, Tomo, I think you need to work harder, mate. That's not a tight-ass Tomo tip. That's a very sensible tip. Oh, sorry, guys. Make <laughs> sure I come up with a silly one next time. We'll look forward to it hugely, as we always do. Right, Chris, let's uh, move on now to our main feature, Employee Ownership Trust. So I'm very interested in this concept, Chris, because I know it's something you and I have discussed a lot over recent months, but you've alluded to it without necessarily telling me that much about it. But first, I'd like to do a bit of a sense check. Now, I understand that this is a passion of yours, given that you've just sold Avation Finance in this way. But but why is this going to be of general interest to the people listening to this podcast? Well, one of the advantages of employee ownership is it can provide employees with a more fulfilling employment, fulfilling career. We go to work because we need to earn money, but surely it's better if we can go to work and that work is fulfilling. So I'd like us to explore a little bit the nature of work and money and happiness in the context of employee ownership. Great, sounds like a brilliant idea, but perhaps it would be helpful to explain and define exactly what employee ownership means. Okay, so firstly, uh, we should just get out of the way the fact that it's not actually employee ownership. Although that's the phrase that is generally used, it is slightly misleading. Well, Tomo's um, face just fell then. <laughs> Why did nobody it? tell me this before? <laughs> you know, just, just the same as it was. <laughs> Here's my notice. What, what happens is the company, the shares are owned by a trust fund for the benefit of the employees. 
So indirectly owned but employee controlled would be a more accurate expression, just mm -hmm. not very catchy. So we use the expression employee owned and the employee ownership trust or EOT, but that's what we're really referring to. The shares are owned by a trust fund. People might be familiar with the John Lewis ownership model. Mm -hmm. um, it's the most well-known one, I think. What we really are talking about, therefore, is the control of the business being moved from one or a few people, the bosses, to the employees. And that, therefore, leads to a more fulfilling uh, employment because you have a say in the running of your business. You don't necessarily make decisions, but you have a say in the running of the business. Fascinating. And how long have you been working towards um, selling innovation uh, to the Employee Ownership Trust, for example? Well, arguably 20 years since I started, because it's not called Chris Bud Financial Services, you know. Um, but I've been working to make myself the least important person in the business for about seven years. And then I found the Employee Ownership Trust specifically about a year ago at a meeting of the Employee Ownership Association the EOA, um, who are a great organisation that are bringing people together to talk about these things. And it was a wonderful day that I spent at the offices of a company called Arup, a big company who are also employee-owned, and discovered how employee ownership has uh, revitalised, not revitalised, but, but enthuses the, the employees. They were so enthusiastic about it. I, I just decided that day, that's the way I want to go. Great. Well, we'll come on. I'm going to ask Tomo in a minute, actually, how enthusiastic he's been about it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but before I do, I mean, it does beg the question. It sounds great. And it's clearly benefits to the, to the company, to the employees. But um, what I would ask, Chris, is what's in it for you? Because you're stepping away. I know you're still involved. You're still chairman of the company. But you're stepping away from the day-to-day -day involvement of the company. Is that a, a conscious decision for you to say, actually, I just don't want to be that involved anymore. There's other things I want to do. Is it financially beneficial to you? So what happens is I sell the business. So I am getting paid for the business, but I'm getting the paid out of the future profits of the business. So what happens is I sell my shares to the trust. The trust doesn't have any money because it's just been set up, mm -hmm. but it does now have the shares and therefore the future profit. So that profit is then used to pay me out over a number of years. And every company or every, every um, transition can be different in how you structure that depending on the nature of the company. So financially, yes, it's okay. I'm not going to be rich, but I'm going to be okay, which is what I want in life. You know, I've worked out my own financial well-being. I've worked, had my own financial planning. But what it does, it enables Ovation to continue doing what it does. And that's what really I really care about, because I didn't just want to sell my business to some big corporate who would just merge the clients into theirs and, you know, the name and, and what we do disappears. The whole idea of money and happiness that we spend so much time on, I wanted that to continue. We've got great employees. I didn't want them to just get sacked and lose their jobs. So I've handed it over to them to take this forward and to make it fly. But presumably, now that the employees own the company, if uh, further down the line they decided that actually they wanted to salivation to Hargreaves Lansdowne or one of those other companies, could they do that? Or would you have a power of veto as chairman? Yeah, uh, no, I have a power of veto as I, I'm retaining a minority shareholding. Mm. So that's one reason why it won't happen. But the other reason why it won't happen is because if something has a value to one person, it will have a value to another person. And therefore, for the employees, why would they sell? Because they'd be selling something that's generating future profit. You would also have to have uh, all the employees to agree, I think, as well. So I think, although 
technically it's not impossible that this could be sold by the trust, it is very unlikely. Um, that's the reason why the, um, the book that I've, I've written is called The Eternal Business, because it's about building a business that's going to last forever. Do you mind if I just quickly chip in here from a, the employee's perspective well, on that? don't mind at all. Good. Well, Good. I might. I don't know what you're <laughs> to say. <laughs> well, all of us who work at Ovation were drawn because of the values that were set by Chris. Um, that's why we join Ovation and everything they do we, we believe in. And I'm not sure we'd be too happy to see that just swallowed up by something bigger. We actually work for Ovation because we like the way we do things. We could all go and work for a bigger national and we decided not to. And this is... Our home, so there you go. And I'm, I'm working with a few other businesses and helping them to go through employee ownership is what, what my, my new role in life is as a consultant to other businesses. And um, that's the common theme. You know, businesses that tend to become employee-owned tend to be businesses that are very passionate about what they do. And it's not just the owner, but the owner has drawn in other people who share those values. So anybody listen to this, this isn't about ovation, this is about employee ownership in general. This tends to be the sort of businesses that become employee-owned. Great, thanks, Chris. So, Tomo, from your perspective as a former employee and now, I guess, a co-owner or whatever you might classify... Can, can I just clarify that? So, still employee. Employment hasn't changed for anybody and no, none of them are owners because the owner is... None of them own shares. They don't have to come up with any money. I think it's an important point just to get out at the beginning. Um, the, the shares are owned by the trust, right. not by the individual employees. Okay, so that clearly there's been a sort of a, a, a power shift or a control shift within the organisation. Has it been any different for you, Tomo, as somebody that's working there? Uh, certainly, yeah, massively so. So Chris has stepped away, which has meant that we've got no choice but to step up and fill the roles that he would have originally done. So we went employee-owned um, you know, a short while ago, but it, it's been building up to this. It wasn't like sign on the dotted line all of a sudden the way the business was structured changed. It was quite a drawn out process of us stepping into these roles. For example, I'm now managing the finance side of things within Ovation, um, which wouldn't have happened if Chris had, had held on for dear life. So I, I certainly feel feeling a, some more fulfillment. And there's other roles like Adrian is now the managing director. Um, we got Ian who's, who's heading up all the marketing side of things. So yeah, certainly left a void that we've had to fill, and it's actually given a great opportunity f for us to, to fill it if we want to, so yeah. There's a, a really interesting book, which I'm sure many people will, will have read, called Drive, by the wonderfully named Daniel H. Pink. And it's all about the changing nature of work, okay? It's like digression here, but hopefully this you'll, you'll see the reason. It used to be that our jobs were all about following a set procedure. So you've got an in-tray, you've got a, a process to follow, you empty the in-tray. But these days, and that's what they call algorithmic work, okay? These days, however, a lot more work is about problem solving, which they call heuristic work, okay? Now, the thing about this change uh, that we see in, in, in the workplace is that people are incentivized differently to work from one type or the other. So if you are algorithmic working, then reward the count the stick that's how it works you know you will be more likely to do that task efficiently if you're going to be rewarded more money for doing it but people who perform heuristic roles are more likely to respond to the completely different types of rewards they're much more interested in uh, fulfillment so 
we still tend to give bonus schemes and what have you uh, in, in, in workplace, but actually, as our nature of work is changes, the nature of, of benefits need to change as well. And so employee ownership, the way that it provides fulfillment and the ability for people to have a say in their business is much more attuned to making people happy when they go to work. So happiness at work isn't about how much you get paid then? Not only about that. In fact, um, there's a number of different surveys on this and I, I did one myself actually uh, on LinkedIn and had about 75 people respond and uh, money came about seventh on the list. So it is important, don't get me wrong, I'm not suggesting it isn't, and in fact employee ownership gives people the ability to receive some of the profit of the company. But actually that doesn't tend to be what drives people in the modern workplace. Okay, so what is driving them and how does that relate to the employee ownership concept? What drives people, well Tomo will, will chip in here I'm sure, but what drives people is fulfilment, is having a say. So what we've got to stress here is that although we're talking about the way the company is owned, what we really are talking about is building sustainable businesses. We're talking about businesses that have collaborative decision-making, where employees get involved with employee forums, employee councils, that they have an actual say in the business. We're talking about building businesses that will last forever, that will be eternal, by having a very clear sense of purpose what I call the flag and the ground around which everyone can gather and how that then permeates through the business. These are the sort of things um, that a, a modern employee owned business needs to show in order to engage its employees. Uh, it'll be interesting to see from my perspective as a client of Ovation as well, how, how that will change indeed, if at all, the interaction that I have with the business. I mean, it has over the many years that I've been a client, it's changed anyway, because I, mean, I used to come to you, Chris, for my financial advice, and then gradually that's been devolved out. I now see other people within the organization. Um, so it's already begun to change, and it'll be interesting to see how it changes in the future. But you referred earlier to John Lewis as being a well-known model. And certainly when I go to John Lewis shopping, it is noticeable that the people in there have a level of customer service and engagement with their customers that you don't always see in other comparable shops. And I do believe it's because they are driven by the knowledge that the better the business performs, actually they will get their bonus payment. I think there's been some controversy within the organisation about how big that is these days. But they do know that once a year, when the when the the figures are announced they will get a share of the benefits of the profits that have been made and so i think that makes them more effective so tomo from your perspective i'm not suggesting that you're necessarily getting a bonus but although you know let's never forget pay rides for tomo <laughs> as a campaign that we should be fighting for but I mean, well, he's fighting for himself now yes. <laughs> but how are you how are you finding that it's been an interesting one so we've become employee owned recently but all of this has been played out over a, a fairly long period of time because Chris can't just pull the rug and all of a sudden expect us to all stand in it to work with, without him there. So he's, he's carefully put things in place. And it was an interesting journey for us. So initially, we started almost, it was almost a bit of a commune mentality. It was like everybody gets a say and we're all sit down. And I don't know if you two I know have been part of committees before and any listeners who have been, it can be very difficult to get things done if everybody thinks that they make the final decision oh yes so we soon learned that actually we need to just evolve it into some key areas in the business repeat a little bit what i said earlier you've got the finance side of things which i'm ultimately accountable for but then there's little project groups within that that i will pick out people who i think are really 
you know, suited to that particular job that needs doing and, and we'll talk about it and get the job done. You've got the marketing side of things that Ian, again, if he needs help, he will bring people in to help him. Liz on operations and Adrian overall with the, with the whole client proposition. But the point is that everyone has a voice there are still people that need to make that final decision. There's a really interesting point here about the difference between accountability and responsibility. Are you familiar with that difference, David? No, but I'm sure you're going to tell me. <laughs> so accountability means that you are you take if you like ultimate responsibility for something. If you're responsible for something, it means you're responsible for for doing something. Whereas accountable, you're responsible for whether it's successful or not. So responsibility can be shared amongst a number of people, but accountability can only be held by one person. And that, I think, is a really key distinction in this decision-making. You have one person accountable, and then they bring in other people into the team who are all collectively responsible for doing something. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a blend of those people that we see have the skill set to do that particular role and help that person who's accountable, but also those that want to. And we said, if anybody wants to, a perfect example is the marketing side of the business if anybody wants or has an interest raise your hand and, and get involved and come up with ideas but ultimately it's Ian who really has to drive that and, and he will ask us our opinions but somebody does have to make the decision but the key thing in ovation it's no longer Chris making every single decision it's you know across four people within the business who then also ask other people's opinions so it's just trying to devolve it a little bit more but it not becoming Death by committee. Yes. And, it, and, it, and in that way, it, it must empower more people and make you feel that you can, that your say actually may make a difference at some point. It may, it, it may not, mm -hmm. but at least you're given an environment where you can make a contribution. And that's got to be good for the individual employee, but surely good for the business too. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the other one extra thing about this is that you need to make sure those decisions that are ultimately made are tested against your flag in the ground. Mm -hmm. So in the book, that uh, The Eternal Business, there's four parts to it, and they're very, very important that all of those four parts lean on and need each other. So your collaborative decision-making needs to be tested against a clear flag in the ground so that you can map your decision against something and know that it's a good business decision. And ultimately, we're always thinking, how does this benefit our clients? How does this actually improve the service they're receiving? And that's what it all stems back to. There are other... Um, key core values but that is the key one that we've got in our mind well if we're making a decision does it improve the service that we provide the clients and if you think you go back to that I think you're doing all right this is all well and good and and it's actually fascinating to hear you two both talking from your slightly different perspectives about how it works but let's never forget this is the financial well-being podcast so how do you think it relates to well-being so if we go back to Daniel H. Pink's point about the nature of work requiring a different kind of reward in the form of fulfilment rather than just more money, you can see that an employee-owned business should be well-placed to deliver well-being by giving people greater meaning and fulfilment in their jobs. We talk in the Financial Wellbeing book a lot about the five different parts of well-being and how they've got to be all nurtured together. Now, it's actually a while since we touched on this specifically, so just remind listeners what those five points are. OK, so the five areas of well-being, according to Gallup, are career, social, financial, physical and community well-being. So employee ownership is great for career well-being and therefore fits really well with financial well-being. 
and presumably there's more money in it too if if the employees are sharing in the profit. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Whether that's the ultimate driver or not is is questionable, but it doesn't really matter because you're getting both. You're getting yeah. a say and hopefully more money. And it's interesting, this is where it starts to all come together because one of the you know, first parts of, or first five parts of financial wellbeing is having a clear path to identifiable objectives. Now, if somebody has those key objectives that they'd like to reach in life and knows that they're in a know that they're in a job that's given them fulfillment and they don't see themselves leaving they see themselves being rewarded for what they're doing it means they have a very clear path set for them to be able to get to said objectives whatever they might be so i think it really really dovetails nicely with financial well-being having working in an employee ownership brilliant so are these employee-owned companies common uh, and if somebody wanted to work for an employee-owned company, um, like myself, for example. You know, it's sounding so great, I think I want to come and work for you. How would, how would I go about doing that? There are currently, just, just, just grasp the statistic, OK? There are 280,000 businesses which have between 10 and 250 employees. OK, so perfect size, you would say. Probably most of them will be able to manage perfect size to become employee-owned. Currently, there are around 320 employee-owned businesses. Wow. So this is really new. There's a, the Employee Ownership Trust is an HMRC-approved thing. It came into being in 2014. I think we've, we've stressed a lot about how your business needs to be a sustainable business before it becomes employee-owned. And I, I reckon that to go from what I would call a personality business, which is all about one person, to a business that is suitable to be employee-owned, I reckon from one extreme to the other can take between five and seven years in changing the business culture, etc. So um, there's a lot more talk about it. It's really started to become a thing. And even if there aren't that many companies actually having done it, there's an awful lot thinking about it at the moment. Yeah, so if you are one of those people listening to this, uh, where where do you need to go? What's the first port of call that you can go to to get so, more information? There's a couple of places. The Employee Ownership Association, the EOA, at their website, employeeownership.co.uk. They have regional meetings. Get yourself along to one of them and meet people that have done this. The enthusiasm in those rooms is fantastic. Uh, it was I'll transformative, vouch, yeah, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. I'll vouch for that. Just speaking to people who've gone through the journey or thinking about it, really helpful because it, you could just ask them any question you want and you get some really good feedback warts and all i tell you what strikes me chris about this somebody should write a book about it <laughs> well funny you should say that david uh, the eternal business is a book that i've written which um get out of here <laughs> <laughs> well it's what you do isn't it you know i've been through the process you write a book about it that will be out in september and it provides a pathway for people who want to become employee-owned. So if, as far as I'm personally concerned, if anybody wants to, to get some help from me in doing this, they've got three ways. They can buy the book. They can um, sign up to the programme, which isn't yet ready, <laughs> but will be. Um, later in the year, I hope, I'm working on a programme that people, an online programme. And what will that be called? Uh, I suspect it'll be something about the Eternal Business programme. <laughs> I wouldn't be at all surprised. <laughs> or they can email me, chrisbud at ovationfinance.co.uk, if they'd like to know a bit more, um, or engage me personally. Well, I hope you listening to this at home or in your car or wherever you are have found this interesting. I've actually found it fascinating chatting to you two because you've both been able to bring a really personal and important insight into something that sounds like it could be potentially quite big in the coming years. David, 
I genuinely think this is going to change society in the long run. I really do. People don't set up businesses just to make money. Some do, but many people set up their businesses because they're passionate about that business. Um, at the moment, you've got the rewards of those businesses going to a few people. That's the way you know our society where capitalism works. You take risk, quite rightly, you get rewarded for that risk. This will allow those people to get rewarded by selling to the trust, but thereafter, the rewards are shared amongst more people. And I think if you are looking to get a job and there's two companies and all other things being equal, one is employee owned and one is owned by one or two people, it's pretty clear, I think, which way people will go. So I think this is going to become absolutely huge. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> is this what good capitalism looks like? Yeah, it is. It is. It's, it's going to change society, but within the current economic structures. And that's what's so wonderful about it. Well, plenty of food for thought there. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed today. I really have. Uh, and please tune in again very soon for another one of our financial well-being podcasts. Chris's book, The Eternal Business, discussed in this podcast, is now available on Amazon for pre-order. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at FinWellBeing. Chris is Ovation Chris and David is at Dave underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think. <laughs>